Amen. I can't think of anything that brings me more joy than someone I love dearly loving Jesus. And I know that brings a lot of joy to Shirley and her family. So you're what a blessing. Well, we are in the book of Psalms this morning. And we've been talking about breaking up unplowed ground, sowing righteousness that we might reap the fruit of unfailing love. And we've been looking at different areas that God wants to dig up and to work on in our lives. And this morning, we are going to talk about that unplowed ground of self-pity, of feeling like, what is the use why should I even try? You know, the sad thing they say about a pity party is uh, nobody wants to come. But we've all been there. And we're going to look at Psalm 13 this morning as we look at David as he starts out in that place. And uh, turn me to Psalm 13 and stand in our God's honor as I read our text aloud. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O oh Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Let's pray. Father, I too have found myself, Lord, uh, asking such questions, God. Feeling despondent. Father, as we uh, look at our, our brother David, uh, the king, we realize that we're not the first to have those feelings and that sense of struggle. And I pray, O oh God, that you would speak to us through this ancient psalm that was penned to worship you. And we are here to worship you, not to dwell upon some area that maybe has got us feeling despair, despondency. But to remember that we are not alone and that we are not abandoned, but you are with us. I just pray, O oh God, you would speak way beyond anything I could say, that Holy Spirit, you would minister to us and that we would hear from you because we need you. That's the way it always is. We are a weak bunch, but we have a very strong God. So just lead us in our worship today as we continue to seek Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. Years ago, there was a preacher by the name of John Bunyan who got in trouble, believe it or not, for preaching without a license. Because the church of that day uh, had some different beliefs 
than John. He ended up in, in jail, and while he was in jail, uh, persecuted for preaching the gospel, he had a dream. And in that dream, uh, he woke up and he wrote a story, an allegory. Uh, many of you have probably read. It's entitled Pilgrim's Progress. And it is the tale of a guy who gets saved by Jesus Christ, and he takes off on a journey. The city he lived in was called the City of Destruction, and he took off to this place titled the Celestial City of God. And as he begins to take the journey, it doesn't take him long till he steps in something that's like quicksand, and he begins to sink. And John Bunyan entitled that, The Slough of Despond. It was kind of like a quicksand that, that was taking him under. And, and he had a companion with him. Both of them were sinking in this slough of despond. But what was worse for Christian, the pilgrim traveling, was he had this burden on his back that caused him to sink quicker. His friend somehow managed to get out, but instead of helping him, he took off running as fast and far away as he could from this sinking pit of mire. Another traveler came by entitled Help. Mr. Help helped him out of the mire. And of course, John Bunyan was speaking of the Holy Spirit as he talked about this helper named Help. Uh, he was so disgruntled, he was so discouraged that Christian, he asked Mr. Help, the helper, why do we even have to worry about this place, this slew of despond where you sink in the mire? Why is it even here? He said, isn't there a way to destroy it, to remove it so that it can be fixed, it can be mended? And the response from Mr. Help was, it cannot be mended or fixed it has to be traveled through. And guys, I wish sometimes we did not have to go through those terrible times where we just feel like throwing in the towel, giving up. But we have to. It is part of God's plan. It is part of, of strengthening us, of maturing us. And this morning, we're going to look at David, who finds himself sinking in the mire, in the slew of despond. And we're going to look, as a result of the circumstances he finds himself in, four conclusions that he draws that are still drawn today by believers. So let's look at these in Psalm 13. The first one... We see in verse 1, I have been forgotten by God. Look how he starts in this ancient song. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He feels like the God of the universe who created everything and sustains everything and is completely in charge of everything has forgotten him. It's like, Lord, I know I'm a little guy. I know I'm just a speck as far as all of creation goes. And I feel like, Lord, 
you've just forgotten I'm even here. I'm hurting so bad, I, I feel like you're not stepping in and intervening even though I'm crying out to you and I'm screaming. God, I, I just feel alone. Leads us to the second conclusion drawn. Not only that he's been forgotten, but that he's been abandoned. How long will you hide your face from me? God, I just feel like you just left me here and abandoned me. I have a terrible confession to make. One time when the kids were a lot younger, Cindy and I got in the car and we took off down the road and we realized quickly that somebody was missing. Don't tell anybody, but we left the kids at church. Well, we did go back and we did get them. They weren't abandoned for too long. But we had somehow forgotten them and left them. Did you know, sadly enough, uh, not by mistake, that every day in our land there is a baby that's abandoned? At a hospital or a church, a fire station, police station. They're meant to be abandoned. How tragic. I love Psalm 27, verse 10, where David proclaims, he says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. People have different stories in... Um, I'm grateful that my story is that I had a dad that I respected and loved. That's, that's not always the story. I've heard some pretty bad ones. But I can say this, that if your father or your mother let you down, that there is a heavenly father who will never let you down, who loves you with an everlasting love. And, that, and that's the hope that God gives us in the Scriptures, that we have a God who He loves us. And uh, we need to hear that, don't we? All right, third conclusion that is drawn. Wisdom is no longer available from God. Uh, look with me in the second verse. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? In other words, life has gone from good to bad and now from bad to worse and I have no idea what I'm supposed to do to get over this. And at the same time, I'm surrounded by people who I don't think even really care about me <laughs> or who really want to help me, even though my life is in such a mess. It's interesting here in, in verse 2, this word that is translated in the NIV here, wrestle, says, how long must I wrestle, is a word... That means to plan for yourself, to adjust to yourself. It is the idea, God certainly must not be there. So if this is going to get fixed, I'm going to have to take it into my own hands. And I'm going to have to solve this myself. And if anybody's going to resolve this problem, it's up to me. And quite honestly, sometimes that's when we can get in the worst trouble. Um, it says in Proverbs, the Lord works out everything for His own ends. 
another place in, in Proverbs 16, 3, says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Sometimes we're not as smart as we think we are and sometimes the godliest thing we can do is wait. Boy, sometimes I don't like to wait, though. I've failed that class many times. But listen to William Carey, who was known um, as the father of modern missions. He lived in an age where missionaries did not go out. There was this idea, God wants to save you. He's planned it from the beginning of time. And so why be a missionary? Let God handle it all. But as Carey began to study the scriptures, he was a, a Baptist guy that got a heart and said, no, I am called to go and to share the gospel that people may respond. It is not enough for me just to sit back and whatever will be, will be. Case or all right. that, that, that There's a call. And, and man, he did some great, awesome things for God. But sometimes when we look at these people God is so gifted and he so wonderfully uses, we think they never struggle. They never doubt their faith. There's a good Greek word for that, hogwash. Well, anyway, listen to this, what, what he said um, in his journal. I am defective in all my duties. In prayer, I wander and am too formal. I soon tire. Devotion languishes and I do not walk with God. I have reason to lament over a barrenness of soul and am sometimes much discouraged for I am so dead, spiritually dead. How can I expect to be of any use among the lost? Another entry he wrote. My soul is a jungle when it ought to be a garden. I can scarcely tell if I have the grace of God or not. I am perhaps the most inconsistent, cold creature that ever possessed the grace of Christ. If God uses me, none need Despair. I mean, guys, that'd be the equivalent today of, you know, uh, well, I, I still want to say Billy Graham. But, and, and Billy, 99 years old, just turned 99 years old. There's a video I saw of him preaching. They say his last sermon was home. But whoever you look at is this person that's, man, got it all together. There are those times of despondency of, God, how could you use me? Sometimes uh, in our prayer time when saying I pray, it's like, God, I just want to see you work. And, you know, honestly, sometimes I just don't. Am I in the way? God, am I just not enough? This is where David was. Fourth, fourth conclusion he drew in verses 3 and 4. That a solution will never appear from God. In other words, I'm at the lowest point and it's never going to change. God's not going to come to my rescue. Look at verse 3. Look on me and answer. Oh Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I David says, look at me, God. I don't know what to do. And I, I feel like you're so far away. Okay, we've been going down, down, down. Now as we get in this psalm, thank God Almighty, he begins to go up, up, up. Why? Because he hasn't totally lost his faith and his hope in the living God. 
although he is certainly in that slew of despond. He is in that mire, that quicksand at the moment. But he still has faith. He understands that although he's in a trial, there's still a God who determines the length and when that trial will conclude. Um, matter of fact, he, my point is, as you look through here in the Scripture, even as you look at him in his struggle, he says over and over, Lord, Oh, Lord, my God. As he speaks, he still recognizes him as the boss, as the sovereign one, as the one who is in control. Man, you can be at the top and you can go to the bottom in a hurry. One of my favorite characters in the scriptures in the Old Testament was the prophet Elijah. Man, what a cool guy. When I was a teenager, I read about him. I said, man, this guy, what a story. <laughs> you, you look at Elijah, and, you know, he goes through these tough times. He's fed by these ravens. and He has this miracle that happens with his widows. Her son's raised. And he's got this food. It, you know, he never run out of food, you know. God just keeps supplying. He comes to this great showdown in chapter 18 of of 1 Kings with the false prophets, hundreds of them. And basically in this showdown, there's a challenge. Elijah said, I'm going to build an altar to the Lord God. And you guys, hundreds of you guys, you build your altar, prepare the altar... And the one true God is going to send down fire. Now, we're not talking about a, a, a simple little match or, or just a spark. I mean, a fireball. Send it, you know, send it down and we will see the proof of who truly is God. Picking up at verse 26 of 1 Kings 18. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response, no one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. They were going crazy, trying to get their God to respond. And Elijah, yes, even a godly person can be a smart aleck every once in a while. Look at his response here in 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, guys! I added the guys, okay, but... Shout louder. (laughs) Surely, he is a God. Hmm. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Or busy. Or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Remember the old living Bible said, maybe he needs a potty break. You know, needs to go to the bathroom. But regardless, where is your God? (laughs) They responded, They shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until the blood flowed. (laughs) Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. 
Now it's Elijah's turn. Just gives me holy goosebumps thinking about it. Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the altar. And then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. So they filled them up and they did it again, guys. He said, by the way, do it a third time. So obviously by this time there's water, it says in 35, that ran around the altar and even filled the trench. And then Elijah prayed. He says, oh Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and I'm your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And I love it. Look at verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. Licked it up. That's preaching stuff. It licked up the water. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried. My Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. It goes on. God's people get their heads straight, get together, turn to the Lord. Man, it's some good stuff. Good time to be a prophet, man. I guess that's why as a young guy, I love, man, I'd love to see that. You know, all these old knuckleheads that don't want to listen to God. God gets their attention. Revival breaks out, and I just want to be there, be a prophet, you know. That's where Elijah was. You would think, how can you get any higher than that? Look at chapter 19 real briefly here. (laughs) Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his Life. Now, I, just for time's sake, I'm kind of speed along here with the story. He took off running. He was utterly exhausted. God supernaturally gave him some vittles with some super vitamins to awaken him. And then he took off to that special cave. And there was the earthquake. And there was the thunder and, and, and all those displays of power and grandeur. But God spoke in a gentle whisper. And Elijah had said, I'm the only one left. Got to know you're not. I'm in control. But what happened? He got so far down. And he had to look back up. And so that, that leads us to come to the last part here. Of, in John Bunyan's allegory, as Christian began to walk along, Mr. Help said to him... <laughs> He said, there are stepping stones along the way, but they're hard to see. So, in the journey through the slew of despond that we all go through, back to Psalm 13, uh, I want to show us just some stepping stones as we come to the end of the message here. Um, We look at verse 5. It starts with but. Now, we're all discouraged, but 
I love it, you know, the Billy, the Billy goat faith, you know. But, you know, in there. But I trust in your unfailing love. So that first stepping stone here uh, is recalling. Man, when you're down there and you're in the pits, just recall. Man, just recall His steadfast love, the salvation that He brought to you. Second, recommitting. Look at verse 6. He says, I will sing to the Lord. His circumstances didn't change, but His inward attitudes changed because He realized God's grace was sufficient for Him. Even in the lowest point, when there's weakness, there is His strength that is available And then thirdly, the stepping stone marked uh, recalculating. (laughs) For he has been good to me. Sometimes when we start the whining and we feel like we have been abandoned by God and he is nowhere and what is the use. God says, recalculate, recalculate. Remember the old GPSs that I had. You'd be going down the road and you take a wrong turn. Recalculating, recalculating. Change that course to try to get you back on the right course. And here, God is is speaking to the heart of David. And he said, recalculate. I am still the God of gods and the King of kings. And and, and you are not forgotten. You are not abandoned. As a matter of fact, we know from the gospel, he loves us so much he died for us. Right? Now, pull this all together with us. illustration to close with it it's always about man when we're faced the wrong direction and we forget god or we're not looking to god we need to turn toward him we need to recalculate that direction so that we can get out of that pit and be reminded guys we are recipients of grace and everlasting unfailing love unfailing love Max Lucado tells a story about a young man at the age of 32 was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and um, over 16 years it cost him his job, his career, his mobility and eventually his life. And as his condition worsened, he couldn't feed himself, he couldn't walk. He apparently battled uh, depression through it all. But he never lost his sense of gratitude to Jesus Christ. He was just an incredible witness to his brothers and sisters in the faith. On one occasion, as they saw him depressed, his friends asked him, compile a list of special prayer requests so that we'll know exactly how to pray for you. So he comes back with a list and he gives it to them. And he has six concerns he asked them to pray for, but he has 18 words of praise. In other words... He's down there in the slough of despond. And while he's down there, he's got three times as many praises as he does gripes. Complaints. Man, what a testimony. When Cindy and I first got out of uh, seminary, we served in a church in Moorhead City, North Carolina. Uh, Down the road was a a place uh, called Newburn, North Carolina. And... um, it was just a couple of years after we actually left that area. Uh, the church, First Baptist Newburn, took a mission trip to one of the islands. And the guy that led the music 
he, he looked out and he said to the people that were gathered there, he said, any request to see a lady who was a leper? She raised her fingerless hand. She had no ears, no nose. Her lips were gone and her hands were just stubs where the fingers had fallen off. And she said, can we sing, count your many blessings, name them one by one? And the music missionary couldn't sing. He began to cry. Finally, he got it together. And they sang. And afterward, one of the other missionaries who came with him said, I guess you'll never be able to sing that song again. And he said, oh, yes, I'll sing it again, just never the same way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, uh, for those of us here who may be in that pit, that slew of despond, and we just feel abandoned. Um, Father, I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit to come and to pull out of that pit. And to remind us, Lord, that we are victors and not victims. That Jesus won our forgiveness and our hope through his death and resurrection at Calvary. And so, Father, as we have this time we call response or invitation with an altar that is open. Father, may we just be honest before you and uh, just respond to you. May we remember you, God. Sometimes we, uh, Lord, we just get distracted because we look everywhere but to you. And this is a time for us to respond by looking to you, to come to the altar to pray, to make decisions before you that may need to be public before the body of Christ, that maybe can be made right where we are as we stand and sing. But what matters is it is to you. And so I just ask and I plead that, Father, you'd move among us for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.